Our scripture reading today comes from Joshua 2, verses 1 to 16 in the New International Version. Then Joshua, son of Nun, secretly sent two spies from Shittim. Go look over the land, he said, especially Jericho. And they went and entered the house of a prostitute named Rahab who stayed there. The king of Jericho was told, Look, some of the Israelites have come here tonight to spy out the land. So the king of Jericho sent this message to Rahab. Bring out the men who came to you and entered your house, because they have come to spy out the whole land. But the woman had taken the two men and hidden them, and said, Yes, the men came to me, but I did not know where they had come from. At dusk, when it was time to close the city gates, they left. I don't know which way they went. Go after them quickly. You may catch up with them. But she had taken them up to the roof and hidden them under the stalks of flax she had laid out on the roof. So the men set out in pursuit of the spies on the road that leads from the fords of the Jordan, and as soon as the pursuers had gone, the gate was shut. Before the spies laid down for the night, she went up to the roof and said to them, I know that the Lord had given you this land, and that a a great fear of you has fallen on us, so that all who live in this country are melting in fear because of you. We had heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea for you when you came out of Egypt, and what you did to Sihon and Og, the two kings of the Amorites, east of the Jordan, whom you completely destroyed. When we heard of it, our hearts melted in fear, and everyone's courage failed because of you. For the Lord your God is God in heaven above and on the earth below. Now then, please swear to me by the Lord that you will show kindness to my family, because I have shown kindness to you. Give me a sure sign that you will spare the lives of my father and mother, my brothers and sisters and all who belong to them, and that you will save us from death our lives for your lives the men assured her if you don't tell what we are doing we will treat you kindly and faithfully when the lord gives us the land so she let them down by a rope through the window for the house she lived in was part of the city wall she said to them go to the hills so that the pursuers will not find you hide yourselves there three days until they return and then go on your way In the book of Hebrews, we read, By faith the prostitute Rahab, because she welcomed the spies, was not killed with those who were disobedient. In the story of Rahab's life, there are truths to be learned about our Christian faith. One big one in particular, a truth that should kick us into much needed action, especially just now. And to begin the story of Rahab, really you need to start by picturing her home, the city of Jericho. In that time, it would have been the crown jewel of the Levant. Jericho is about midway up the countryside of Canaan, not far from the Dead Sea. And we are told that the, the city's walls were tall and broad, meaning both she and her inhabitants almost certainly were quite powerful and probably well off too. Walls are an expensive thing to build and maintain, and yet Jericho's, we are told, are massive. So far from being some backwater town, you need to picture this place as alive and bustling. And also, 
like all walled, walled cities in that time, almost certainly dense too. City walls aren't easy to extend, and yet if you live in the city, you want to be protected by the walls, which means that it kind of incentivizes packing in as much stuff as you possibly can and then building up. So as you try to picture the city, think tall, think strong, and think loud and bustling. That is what Jericho was. And it was to this city that we read one day, reports began to pour in. At first, they would have come from far away, but with every passing week from just a little bit closer. Reports of what was at first an unknown army, not the biggest army of the region had ever seen by any means, but concerningly, the reports all made clear it was unstoppable. And seemingly uninterested in the thing that most armies of the time would have cared the most about, simply being paid off to leave cities uh, that they encountered alone. And while we have never in North America encountered this kind of threat while we have been alive anyway, never felt that feeling of the enemy ever coming closer to the gates, to some extent I think that we know how this feels. Just remember back to the beginning of the year, as first we heard of the disease out in Wuhan, far away. And then before we knew it, we heard that China was on lockdown. And then a cruise ship, and then all of Asia, and then Italy, and Spain, and the rest of Europe. And each day it seemed that this unseen and this unstoppable force we knew nothing about was approaching. And then it was on our shores, and immediately we shut the gates, locked everything down. This... This is how the people of Jericho would have felt with the reports of this unknown army just slowly massing, just slowly inching toward them. And how long this took, we don't know. But that the lead-up took time and that it was the kind of pressing concern that taints everything. From Rahab and what she says, that, that, we, that we do know. And we can imagine that this bustling city that's allowed and alive, collectively, it would have hushed as from the top of the walls, the first dust from the threat was kicked up into the air. And by the time the city locked itself down, just enough news had come in from the outside world to know that a god, the reports began to say, a single god marched with these people, a god of miracles. And these people that he marched at the head of were the Israelites. And it's with this terror over the eyes and with its silencing deafness ringing in the ears of the people of Jericho that, that slowly the news spread from on high that to these Israelites and their God, the king of Jericho had said, our walls are tall, do your worst. And the city began to brace itself in anticipation. It's soon after this that we read in Joshua 2 that there was a knock at Rahab's door. Two men, two men who were strangers, but strangers who looked similar enough to others of the region, stood before her. This likely would have been a bit odd to Rahab in itself, two new clients she didn't know when the city was under watch, but it would have been quick enough to dismiss it. They seemed to look all right. But then I imagine that they opened their mouths and spoke, and the concern would have returned to Rahab doubled. 
the sound of their words causing every hair on the back of her neck to stand on end. For we know that for centuries the Israelites had been isolated in their distance from their distant cousins in Jericho. And, and think about how we talk to how those in England talk. Even if you're faking the accent, something that takes days if not weeks of exposure to even hope to do well, it's never quite the same. It's always just a little bit off. And that is when we are confronted with one of the mysteries of the book of Joshua. Because suddenly the story skips forward in time, and the king of Jericho, we are told, has gotten wind that there were spies in his midst. And so he sends out messengers to the most likely places that outsiders would go. Rahab's services were likely somewhat dependent on discretion and outside traffic, and Rahab's clients from in the city were likely from all walks of life, each with information that they would have thought nothing about sharing with one of their own, but nevertheless it would have been a calamity if it held into the wrong hands. That spies would go straight to her door to scope out the city, that would have been obvious. But what isn't so apparent is what we're told next. For when the authorities arrive, we read, they demand that Rahab turn over any outsiders who may be with her. And in that moment, we are told that without thinking, Rahab responds that she had two outsiders show up, but they had left already. And then we are very soon after that, shown the fact that the strangers had in fact not gone, but were in fact in hiding. Meaning that between this response and the point that when the two men arrived in the first place, Rahab had discovered the truth of who they were, and more importantly, we are told that she had decided to lie to her own people in order to protect these enemies of Jericho. Rahab is an interesting character to try to look through the eyes of. She is someone who throughout history, and rightfully so, I would say, as we're going to see in a bit, has been looked up to. But look at this moment of her story through her eyes. She's a turncoat. She is a traitor to the city of Jericho, to her friends and clients, and quite likely a large number of her extended family as well. To Jericho, she would have been Benedict Arnold. She is... The Trojan Horse, a place where enemy combatants hid only to later emerge and bring the great walled city to its knees. Why are you helping us? We can assume the men ask after the guards ran off and they emerged from their hiding places. And where you would expect to hear some great reason, at least a reason greater than this. Instead we hear something that's much more simple and profound. Because I am afraid. Because I am afraid of what you will do when you storm the city, and I am afraid of what your God will do. Because Jericho and our king have decided to stand in your way. To which the two men reply, If you stand with us, you will be one of us. Following which Rahab becomes a full traitor to great Jericho by helping the two men escape out into the night. Days go by, we read, each of which would have weighed on Rahab, tossing back and forth in her heart between guilt and assurance she did the right thing and then fear. She was a traitor to her people, 
did she make the right choice? She would have kept wondering. She, she began to keep her family close to her and in her home to keep them safe. And still the silence, the silence in the city ached on. Unwilling to drown out the self-condemnation of her own thoughts. But then one morning, as we read in Joshua 6, came something bizarre. Because the Israelite army had begun to move. But instead of assembling into the rank and file, we read just out of bow range the entirety of the host organized into line. And at the front were men holding a golden box suspended on poles. They were far away, but able to be seen, but just on the cusp. But all that beheld them were left baffled by what was going on. What was that box? It must have been some kind of holy relic the Jerichoans would have decided amongst themselves. Nothing else really would deserve that kind of intricacy and value other than the possession of a king and the possession of a god. That must be where the god of these people that we've heard so much about resides, they would have decided in their mind. And soon the word spread, and the whole of the city, uh, as able, they would have clambered to see what was going on. And as they did, silently the host, led by that great golden box, began to move, and all around the city it went. And then, when they had completed their circuit, returning to camp, they just settled back in. Puzzled after a time, you can imagine that the people of the city would have done the same, going back to their businesses, while all the while Rahab hid in her home. And then came the next day, and again the same thing happened, and the next, and the next. And while at first, as the host moved along, you can imagine the people at Jericho would have had their guard up, it wouldn't have taken too many days before you can imagine those same people began feeling a bit more safe behind their walls. Clearly the Israelites were trying to do something to appeal to their God after all, and why else would they do something so ritualistic? And if that is what they were doing, then Jericho was still standing. Clearly it meant that something wasn't working quite right. Obviously, that great God of the Israelites that they had heard so much ago, maybe he was just a little overblown, they would have thought to each other. Either that, or maybe he had taken one look at the great walls of Jericho and had come to see the truth of the matter. Obviously, those Israelites were the wrong horse to back. And so the people of the great city would have found themselves, after a few days, jeering at the Israelites as they marched for their God, taunting them and sneering and deriding. And still, Rahab hid with her family in her home. And it would have been then, just when the people of Jericho had begun to taunt their enemy at the gates, just when that clatter, that noise had begun to return, that seven days into the daily march, something changed again. At this point, the noise of life would have been back, as we said, and the din in the background of the Israelite feet, it would have begun to fade into the aether, a regular part of the day that was noticeable, but also just kind of there. But then, just when it was expected that the sound of the hapless march would end, 
It continued on. Immediately the city would have quieted again because you notice when something predictable that is supposed to sound one way suddenly changes. And soon the whole city would have been looking out every nook and cranny of the walls. The Israelites were marching around again and then again. For six days, only once, like clockwork, they had circled the city. But today, something was different. Something was new. And again, they went. And again, seven times around the army marched. Seven times. That would have been a dozen miles at least, if not significantly more than that. And still, the sound of their boots rung on. And just as the sound was beginning to etch itself into the minds of the people there, each step like a nail hammered into their minds, it stopped. Everything we read was dead quiet, and the people of Jericho gazed on, not a word among them. And then came the scream. An entire army, an entire people drowning out everything else, drowning out all the noises of all the world, drowning out all of the breathing and the heartbeats of the people that quickly began racing, beating like a drum. And the terror in that moment, it would have gripped the people, and just as panic would have begun to consume them, that's when we read a great blast went up. Terrible trumpets screaming and reverberating, the walls of Jericho and its people resonating and amplifying, and with each echo reaching the ears of all who listened just out of sync until everything was just a barrier, just a wall of sound that was impenetrable and weighing in. And just when everything was too overwhelming to bear it a moment more, suddenly there was calm in the land. One heartbeat is hard to hear, even if it's on its own. Too much are the same. But a thousand? Thousands of terror-stricken pulses racing, their owners panting like animals. That would be a noise in the silence that was on all sides of you, weighing and pressing on you, squishing and pushing you in, oppressive enough that it would outweigh the ringing in your ears, loud enough that at that first rumble... You wouldn't have heard a thing. But soon, the tremor would have become unbearable. Stones grinding against stones, crashing metallically to the ground, each clanking, clamoring against each other. And then a wall of dust would have rushed over the city and its people, choking blotting out so much of the sun that no one save the Lord of that golden box, the God of the Israelites, saw the wall come crumbling down. The great army at the gates would have entered the city in a haze, and we read that when the day was done, Rahab and her family were picked up from the remnants of their home, and they were given a new place to live with the Israelites as they continued on in their quest to conquer their old home. And we read even later on in scripture that in time Rahab even had children of her own with the Israelites, proving that she, an outsider, was now one of them. And among her descendants, we find the names of the great King David, and many generations later, Jesus Christ. I said in the beginning today 
that in the story of Rahab, there are plenty of things to learn about our Christian faith, things that will kick us into action, but also that there was just one that I wanted to talk about today. And what that one truth is has to do with the decision that Rahab made to side with the two men over her own people. It has to do with how, by all definitions, Rahab was a traitor, a turncoat. Now, I think it's fair to say that we currently live in a world that isn't great at handling differences between groups of people. For example, let's think politically for a second. You have your conservatives and your liberals, both groups probably represented by people listening to this right now. Or demographically, we have a mix of people here from all the generations that there are alive today from the war generations and the boomers and gen xers and millennials and gen zers and the yet unnamed younger generation each who were raised in vastly different circumstances and as such has significantly different priorities and needs i don't think it would be wrong to say that these days the world around us and because we live in that world i would hazard to say Inside the great walls of our churches, we have found ourselves in a place where it has become harder than it used to be for our different groups to get along. In our world today, there has become a strong feeling that it's no longer possible to truly disagree with one another, but still remain on good terms. Living in the world today, it feels like we have gotten to a place where if I disagree with you, not only am I right and you are wrong, but more than that, it has become a moral failing in my eyes looking at you that you would ever deign to do such a terrible thing as disagree with me in the first place. It has stopped being that we are different, but we can still be friends. And instead, it has become that each of our little groups has become a walled city unto itself, afraid of the outsiders who were our friends and our family just a short while ago. The truth of the story of Rahab, I would say, can address just this very problem. And it addresses it because through the fact that Rahab was a turncoat, but she was a very particular kind of turncoat. Because although Rahab in the end became an Israelite, it is not for the Israelites that she betrayed her own people. You can see what I mean in verse 9. I know that the Lord has given you this land, is what she says. Rahab didn't turn away from her people to join the Israelites. She turned away from her people to join God. She only became an Israelite after making that decision because that is who the Israelites were supposed to be. That is who the church is supposed to be. The people who struggle with God. The people who follow God. In this way, we are all called to be Rahab. Turncoats from the little walled cities of our own devising who are instead squarely concerned with living as God wants us to before all else. The truth of the story of Rahab is we are called to be like her like this. Traitors for God. And that doesn't sit with us well. Because we like our little walled cities. There is familiarity in it. There is solidarity in it. They, there are clear and laid out rights and wrongs. There are people that 
are right because they are just like us and those people that are wrong because they disagree with us. So we are free to ignore them and degrade them and otherwise dehumanize them because they are not us and we are the ones who are right here behind our walls. But a less Christian worldview, it would be really hard to come across. Because we're not called by God to be in our own little groups isolated from everything else. We're not called by God to look out for our own group's well-being at the expense of all others. Guarding it dogmatically lest some enemy breaches the gates. We are called to be traitors to all of that and to instead follow God, loving as he loves and for what he is for. And there are some strong implications in doing just that these days. Because no matter how you cut it, what this means is that when it comes to dealing with those who are different than us and disagree with us, Instead of simply writing those people off and belittling them in our minds because they are so obviously wrong, instead we need to at least try to love and care for them as God does. And quite possibly that means that you will need to talk with them. And also it means quite possibly that you are going to need to engage with what they believe that infuriates you so much because how can you show someone you think they are valuable as a human being and still not be willing to engage with what they find valuable? This is not saying that you need to change your mind on anything, but instead just you do need to legitimately try to understand them and where they are coming from. And then, even if it is the hardest thing that you ever have done, choose to come away loving them all the same. It's only by doing that, by building the relationship that that builds, will you show this person that you love them as God loves them and care for them as God cares for them. And if we think of what it means to be a traitor for God like this, I dare say it also means that if you are looking to weigh in on what you think others need to do, you better also make sure to reach out to them and understand where they are at in its entirety first. Because how else can you show someone that you love them as God loves them? Telling someone how to live without getting to know them first certainly isn't doing that. And this is difficult, absolutely, but it's the only way to deal with someone where they know that they are not your enemy, even though they are different from you, but instead that they are actually precious. And I also suspect for us here today, what it also means is that if you're ever going to weigh in on what you think a church needs, a great thing to do don't let me, don't take what I'm saying as trying to discourage you from doing any of these things. But if you are going to weigh in on what your church needs, you can't start that conversation by looking at yourself and what your own group needs. Instead, first talk with those completely apart from you. In doing that, you show those people that they mean more to you than your own needs do. Something that is again and again how Christ teaches us to live. In the story of Rahab, we learn a great truth about how to live our Christian faith, that we are to be traitors for God. And that, 
that is a truth that should kick us into action. And so I say, let's let it do just that. <laughs>